Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Eleanor of Aquitaine Review. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip. And uh, today, having done her biography last time, we are finally going to review Eleanor of Aquitaine to decide whether she's got the Rex Factor. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's at this point thinking, oh, I don't know, it's looking <laughs> tight. I don't, they're, they're very brave if they place money on that position. For Ali's benefit, if no one else, uh, we'll do a quick summary of her life and then go into more detail for the factors. Biography! So, Eleanor was born in 1124 to William X, uh, Duke of Aquitaine and Einor de Châtellerault. Uh, following the death of her father in 1137, she became the Duchess of Aquitaine, which is a mighty duchy equivalent to about one-third of modern France. And also uh, the best name for a band you've ever heard, the Mighty Duchy, <laughs> featuring Eleanor on lead. <laughs> and uh, we will call from last time, Viscountess Dangerous. On drums. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she was quickly married to the French Dauphin, the future Louis VII, and shortly afterwards uh, became Queen of France, still just 13 years old. Uh, unfortunately, this marriage was not a success, and after she accompanied Louis on the Second Crusade in 1147, uh, which proved to be a military and romantic disaster, uh, <laughs> she pushed for divorce, with the marriage being annulled in 1152 on the grounds of consanguinity. Anyway... She then married again to Henry Fitz Empress, the Duke of Normandy, Count of Anjou, and from 1154, King of England, making Eleanor the only woman to be Queen both of France and England. Rex fact! And so that's interesting, I didn't, I didn't remember that from before, that she married Henry before he was King. Yes, yes. Yeah, there you are. True love. Eleanor's early role as Queen was rather limited due to the consistent output of children, but from 1168 to 1173 she enjoyed a degree of independence, ruling Aquitaine uh, on Henry's behalf, but she then sided with her sons against Henry in the Great Revolt of 1173, uh, resulting in Henry imprisoning her for the rest of his reign. Mm. But on his death, Eleanor was released and effectively ruled the country while her son Richard was on the Third Crusade. Uh, she thwarts the machinations of her other son John and the new French king, uh, Philip Augustus. She then retired to the Abbey of Fontevraud, only to be dragged back into action to help John secure the succession when Richard died uh, in 1199. And then she finally did get to return to Fontevraud and died in 1204 at the grand old age of 80. What a life. Battleliness. Uh, first of all, for Eleanor, we can talk about the Second Crusade, because uh, Eleanor played an important role in the incredibly successful recruitment campaign. So at a grand ceremony at Vézelay, uh, Bernard of Clairvaux delivered a rousing sermon while Louis sat in state wearing the Crusader's cross, uh, making him the first monarch to lead a crusade. Uh, but Eleanor also was there, wearing a crusader's robe. She knelt before Bernard to receive the cross and then pledged to attend herself. And the image of Eleanor riding off to the Holy Land through Constantinople onto Jerusalem is kind of the epitome of the chivalric ideal for a great sort of military queen. Yeah, yeah, because if, if, um, if a child were to 
read a book about the Crusades or or, or, or me <laughs> and uh, <laughs> an Osborne book of uh, long ago. Yeah. The Crusades, you imagine, would have been led by kings. Mm. Kings have queens. They'd be there. There's nothing unusual about it. But actually, this is this is it. This yeah. is it happening properly. Now, Eleanor was uh, not meant to actually encounter any fighting, but this proved not to be the case. Uh, Eleanor ended up being blamed when the French army was ambushed by Turkish forces at Mount Cadmus when they were en route to Antioch, uh, and they suffered very heavy casualties, including the royal guards. Louis himself only narrowly escaped uh, with his life. Now, one of Eleanor's commanders from Aquitaine was blamed for deciding to get off the mountain rather than make camp. So supposedly she and this chap are in the vanguard that get to an agreed pause point, but they think, ah, you know what, it seems all right, let's just carry on, get off the mountain. They head off, and then when Louis and the rest turn up, the vanguard isn't there, and the Turks ambush them. And they're thus depleted by numbers and apparently slowed down by all of Eleanor's very heavy luggage. Luggage? Well, because, you know, she's, it's a long trip. You've got to pack. Yeah. So she's got full-on, like, a, a caravan full of, you know, wardrobe uh, court, really. Mm. She's She can't be expected to take a military blame for that. That's her bodyguard fellow. Well, I guess the suggestion ends up coming that perhaps she would have been potentially instructing him and tainted by association uh, is is the other element but in fact mm. the reality is no eyewitness accounts actually blame her or mention her at all for this ambush it oh. comes entirely from later historians who are sort of blackening her name and it's probably more likely that if she was anywhere she would have been in the midsection which was better protected it doesn't really make a lot of sense that you put your queen and all the women in the vanguard yeah to meet, the, <laughs> meet the attacks head on yeah, that, I mean, unless they are saying that she was such a military uh, one-off that she was in the vanguard <laughs> and didn't have those wardrobes and stuff with her. Yeah. Uh, so consequently, if she is in the midsection, then that's the bit which got ambushed. So she may well have seen all of the deadly fighting at close quarters, may also have had to flee for her life, not knowing if she'd be taken prisoner, if Louis would survive. So it could have been quite a scary encounter for her. Mm. Mm. And the drama continued on the way home. Um, the relationship between her and Louis had gone south somewhat, so they went home in separate ships. And right. Eleanor's ship was captured at one point by the Byzantines. Uh, Christian fellows, though, right? They're on the same side. Indeed, but the King of Sicily provided the ships, and unfortunately they were somewhat at odds with the, the uh, King of Byzantium. Huh. Okay, that's... Um a lucky break, though, that they were going for the ships. Oh, look, and Eleanor's on them. They weren't trying to. Or perhaps the captors thought they just got some pesky Sicilians and thought, oh, dear, it's the Queen of France. This is <laughs> <laughs> Like when you're fishing and you get a great big shark instead of the mackerel yeah. you're going for. Oh, dear. Technically, we've well caught it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you land it? No. <sighs> Got to let them live. <laughs> yeah. 
back in France, uh, Ellen is now a more confident woman than the girl that had struggled to find a role at the French court, and she showed remarkable agency in escaping from her marriage to Louis. She nearly persuaded him to annulment whilst they were on the Crusades until the Pope enforced a reconciliation with that papal couple's retreat that he mm. imposed on them. Uh, but after the birth of another daughter, with Louis still needing an heir, he gives way. Um, so she's managed to escape from this marriage to the King of France, but she's not naive. She realises she's have to marry again. But unlike with Louis, this time she gets to choose her husband. So it's not a marriage that's arranged for her. She is actually making the decision herself. And the new man that she chose, of course, was the future Henry II. So by marrying him, she completely shifts the balance of power in Europe because taking a third of France away from the King of France and giving it to the man who's about to become King of England. So Henry, of course, is able to offer her a second crown, but it's worth remembering that Eleanor is the one with the resources that probably helps him secure that crown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Aquitaine's bigger than Normandy and Anjou combined, which is what Henry (laughs) currently owns. So she's now Queen of England. We've got a confident and brave woman who's not afraid to risk everything to pursue her goals, which, of course, will come to plague Henry in the 1170s. Um, Historian Claudia Gold has speculated that part of their alliance may have included Henry promising Eleanor that once she's done all the childbearing business that she will get to rule Aquitaine independently. So the fact that he retains control over its economy and over its military resources probably rankles with Eleanor and might be a major cause of the tension that develops between them. So even before the Great Revolt, there are signs that she was starting to stake her own path once she'd gone back to Aquitaine. Her charters were now worded um, as being to her own faithful followers, where previously they'd been worded to the king's faithful followers and hers. Oh, gosh, yeah. Right. That's like changing your Twitter handle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, In 1172, the year before the Great Revolt, she received diplomatic visits from the kings of Navarre and Aragon, Barcelona, in order to discuss uh, borders uh, between those territories, again seemingly independent of anything that Henry was doing. Mm. Mm. Okay, yeah. And then, of course, in 1173, the young Henry, their eldest son, threw in his lot with Louis VII, and Eleanor perhaps sees an opportunity for genuine independence. So while the young Henry made the first move, many have doubted whether he and his brothers, who were aged 20, 15 and 14, had the political nous to convert this into the, such a well-coordinated coalition. Oh, man! It was a coup! Mm. Whereas many would think, well, Eleanor, highly experienced player on the international yeah. stage, 49 years old, perhaps a more likely leader and strategist. Yeah, definitely. So all done. She's done the one marriage that she was told to do. She chose the next one because she had to, otherwise she'd have been kidnapped by anyone. <laughs> now she's trying to get her that out of that one to then just be Aquitaine in her own right. And no one's going to muck with me. Mm. She's the boss. It wasn't um, Henry being all... Lord of Europe, it was just her one step on her plan. And it's notable, of course, that while he's very magnanimous towards his sons, Eleanor is the only one that really faces serious punishment, which perhaps suggests that Henry sees her as a threat. She's too dangerous Mm. to be at liberty. Mm, Definitely. 
Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, however, um, more recent biographer Sarah Cockrell has argued that Eleanor's role may actually be in a bit more peripheral and reactive than many people often assume. And perhaps rather than it being this grand plan that Eleanor had devised, maybe actually it was just a thing that happened. So the young Henry goes off to Paris and suddenly everyone goes, oh, are we backing Henry II or are we backing the young Henry? So maybe Eleanor just thinks, well, well, this is tricky. If push comes to shove, I'd maybe prefer my sons. So indeed, she sends her sons Richard and Geoffrey to join the young Henry in Paris, but she initially stays in Aquitaine. So it's only when Henry sent her an ultimatum that she then seems to have tried to go to Paris herself. So perhaps she wasn't necessarily being such an arch manipulator. It was just everybody was reacting to what was happening. I mean, there's got to be a sense of that. She can't control everything, but I sort of think that that's a good position to be in, even if you are behind the scenes pulling the strings. Even then, you can wait till the last minute to show your hand and decide which way it's going. Say it would have failed utterly. She can say, well, it doesn't do me. As a, as a negative for Eleanor, though, when her hand is eventually forced, she's captured, uh, dressed as a man, trying to get to Paris. Sorry, uh, what? She tried to get to Paris, disguised as a man. Right. Why? She would make a far less convincing man than she would other woman. <laughs> she, she, she could just dress as, like, uh, no, my name's uh, Pam Harris from uh, Bordeaux. <laughs> it'd be much but easier right do we have any record of what type of man like you know with um charles it would have been a stable boy or something we don't i don't think we do no and it's again it's one of those things that perhaps it was recorded as such to damn her behavior that she was being unwomanly in rebelling against her husband and she's so unwomanly that she's dressing as a man ah uh, okay Oh, it's brilliant either way. I mean, an added bonus bit of dressing up, which we love. But the negative for battliness is that she is captured, the rebellion is completely defeated, and she's then imprisoned for the next 15 years. Yeah. However, it's as Queen Mother that she's really at her most impressive and her most dominant, which is all the more remarkable given the fact that she's 65 years old when she's released from captivity. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, because that's just one little chapter in an 80-year life. Yeah. 15 years. Yeah. Uh, so when Richard the Lionheart is uh, off on the Third Crusade, Eleanor is forced to defend the country, really. She preempts a rebellion from John by stopping him leaving the country to go to uh, France, secures oaths of loyalty for Richard from the various nobles at four great councils. But when Richard is captured... On his way home, John races off to France, where Philip Augustus is plotting to invade England. But mm. Eleanor, of course, is alive to the threat, takes swift action to ensure that all along the East Coast the defences are properly fortified. And uh, the chronicler Gervais of Canterbury noted that these orders were given by the mandate of Queen Eleanor, who ruled England at this time. Oh, right. It's difficult to... Um, uh, um Remember that these are her children yes. that we're talking with. So when you were, um, when you said that she stopped John from going to France, mm. how do we know? Like because the <laughs> only him by the ear, pinched his ear. Yeah, we. I imagine him at the door of the castle with a load of dodgy-looking mates going, "Where are you going? To park? What are you going to do there? Just a little sit down. Get inside. <laughs> <laughs> you just." 
Um, so Philip isn't able to uh, invade his Flemish mercenaries who are repelled, but John then comes over with his own smaller mercenary force, takes a few castles, but again, Eleanor oversees his defeat, gets all the great nobles of the land, including people like William Marshall, to uh, bring him to heel. Mm-hmm. John surrenders the castles, and it's all sorted. Boom. But then when Richard dies in 1199, she is once again forced into action, this time on behalf of John, because she's supporting his accession to the throne ahead of her grandson, Arthur of Brittany. Mm. And this was a difficult business, because lots of the Angevin territories recognise Arthur instead of John, and because Arthur is the puppet of Philip Augustus, they've got the backing of France, it's quite a serious threat. Yeah, and uh, but although they, sh- they should have realised that no child named Arthur will ever become King of England. Indeed. Legendary, though that name is. <laughs> uh, so, Eleanor does some pretty amazing work to uh, secure John's position. She first gets uh, homage from her vassals in Aquitaine, and then goes on a remarkable progress all the way to Normandy to ensure that John's got support. Uh, she selected one of Richard's captains, a chap called Mercadier, to be her general, uh, went with him to uh, Angers, where they sacked the city for supporting Arthur, and then laid waste to some of the surrounding countryside, just to uh, really ram that message home. Mm. Uh, Her Poitavin supporters go off and force Arthur to withdraw uh, to Paris. Uh, And then she goes off on a journey of about 400 miles. She stops at numerous towns all along the way, Poitiers, Andelis, La Rochelle, Tours, Bordeaux, issuing charters everywhere, securing support for John, uh, and finally rendezvous with him in Rouen, which... You know, given that she's now 75 years old. God. Pretty good guy. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. And the visit to Tours is of particular significance because she took the remarkable step of performing homage to King Philip for Aquitaine. That is amazing. But she, is she... She was due to do that. It wasn't something she decided to do. It was Well, it's something she's never done before, and it's incredibly unusual for a woman to do it at all. It's almost always done on a woman's behalf, even where the woman is duchess in her own right, like Eleanor. Wow. And it seems counterintuitive, because she's securing John's position against Philip, and yet she goes off to pay homage to Philip. They're all just players in the same game, though, aren't they? They just recognise that, that it's just, this is part of the rules, you do this. Then I'm going to go off and plan how to kill you. Well, it's it's also quite a bit of genius tactical manoeuvring by Eleanor because by accepting Eleanor's homage, Philip was acknowledging that Aquitaine was land owned by Eleanor, which Mm. means that Arthur can't claim it in place of John. What? So Philip says, I accept your homage because you are the person that owns Aquitaine. So that means if Arthur's like, right, I'm going to take all of John's land in Aquitaine, then Eleanor says, "Uh, excuse me, I think you'll find that Philip just acknowledged that it's my land in Aquitaine. Nothing to do with John. Yeah, 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 okay. Arthur is immediately unable to claim Aquitaine. Brilliant. And uh, it all does the trick. So in 1200, John and Philip make peace with the Treaty of Ligule, and John has basically acceded to the Angevin Empire. He had it on a plate, didn't he? Mm. And he mucked it all up. (laughs) Um, It's impressive that she hasn't retired and her travels demonstrate what incredible effort she's going to. She's undertaken exhausting and dangerous journeys across the continent. For Richard, when he went off on the crusade, she escorted his bride across the Alps in winter, 
transported in litters up and down the mountains, sleeping in monasteries, meets him in Sicily, then has to come all the way back to England to deal with John. And then when John comes to the throne, she's going all over Normandy and Aquitaine and Anjou, everywhere. And then as part of the peace treaty, uh, Philip and uh, John, it was agreed that Philip's son would marry a niece of John. So Eleanor then had to go all the way to Castile to find one of her granddaughters. So she's now going all the way across the Pyrenees. She's hard as nails. Richard of Devizes at the time described her as an incomparable woman, still tireless in all labours, at whose ability her age might marvel. Mm. Agreed. And it's also worth just finally considering her significance to the Angevin Empire. It's a, obviously it's a conglomeration of territories ruled by Henry, Richard and John that consists of England and, of course... Left of France. The left of France. Uh, but in many ways, it's kind of Eleanor's empire. Aquitaine's by far the largest part of it. And despite her estrangement from Henry, she proves committed to keeping it all together after he dies. And it feels quite significant as well as symbolic that she died just a month after the fall of Chateau Gaillard. And mm. John was on the verge of losing Normandy. So there's an extent to which the Angevin Empire is born with Eleanor and indeed dies with Eleanor. Definitely. So that is battliness for Eleanor of Aquitaine. Uh, what are you thinking for a score, Ali? Uh, right, tricky this, isn't it? Um, ten. You see, I'm my argument against a ten would be that, and it's sort of it's one of those harsh ones because it starts to judge her in a way differently to others. You're almost expecting different things of her, but that the Great Rebellion is a big failure yeah she's not the it's not common of course for a queen consort of england or any country to rebel against her husband but there might be another one that does it in english history that might have more success than eleanor does who's that ah well spoilers spoilers oh yeah spoilers i sort of think that maybe we're judging her if you if you don't give it a 10 it's because you're judging the i Eleanor against actually the ideal of Eleanor. Oh, she's amazing. She's going to be brilliant. And then you can look at it a bit critically and start taking points off. But she is that standard, you know. So that's... Although is she? Let's think about it. Because Ethel fled, was it? Yeah. Arthur's... Alfred's. Oh, you always do Every that. time. Um, Such a great and legendary king. Easy mistake. <laughs> um, yeah, she, she actually probably is better at battling us though, right? She is. I mean, I suppose not to argue against us having included her in the series, but she is a bit different because she was kind of sort of a ruler as well as being a consort. Yeah. Which is an Oh, because the way the country is divided. Mm. I, mean, I suppose the other thing with Alan, you could say, you know, she goes on the Second Crusade, which is very impressive. But oh, again, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily have a huge amount of personal success. So there's an extent to which, you know... And she was in the vanguard. Supposedly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and all of this battliness, that if we do define it differently as opposed to being with a sword, it's having agency. Mm. Hello. Quite a bit of agency going on. Oh, it's it's ten from me. Ten from Ali. I don't know. I'm I'm feeling... It seems wrong because to mark her down for not winning stuff is to treat her more like a monarch. Whereas yeah. just being able to demonstrate agency and the involvement in stuff 
is the but it's not just that though no. even, even with her it, i mean she's scores big on that but there are other stuff even if it like the crusades and if her her battle isn't because she's not a king isn't the same as a king and her thing was about this dynasty keeping it going mm. i suppose ultimately yeah she dies after guy hard falls but <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm going to give her a nine and a half. Oh, that is, that is, this is your Edgar moment here. <laughs> I'm sort of looking at, which is a bit unfair perhaps, but I'm looking ahead to, spoilers, Isabella of France, Edward II. Ah, oh, of course. And thinking that if somebody else does it more successfully, even though Ellen has done loads of incredible stuff as well, I just, yeah, there's no reason, of course, why two people couldn't get a ten, but mm. I'm, do you know what this is like, G-Man? Mm. It is like the difference is is a professional boxer who has a record of like 20 wins and no defeats uh, and then retires better than, say, Joe Frazier, who had, I can't remember how many fights, but uh, over 50, mm. but some defeats as well. Mm. Team Team Joe. <laughs> Anyway, a ten and a nine and a half means she has nineteen and a half for battliness, which is the best so far. Scandal. Now there's an awful lot of rumour and notoriety associated with Eleanor of Aquitaine. The question for us is going to be how much of this is either true or indeed at least credible. But don't we take um the Doctor Emma Southern's take on this that was that we should we should score them for it. Yes, if- but um, we will, as we get, as it ramps up towards the end, you might feel that some of them are getting so silly that perhaps. <laughs> okay. Now, something that you expressed doubt about in the uh, biography episode, though you did give her a little ding, uh, was that on the Second Crusade, she was accused of having an affair with her dashing heroic uncle, Prince Raymond of Antioch. I don't remember this. So they went off to Antioch where her uncle was. Louis and uh, Raymond disagree about strategy and Eleanor is seen to be very close to her uncle. Richard of Devizes rather cryptically declared, Many know what I would that none of us knew. This same <laughs> queen during the time of her first husband was at Antioch. Let no one say any more about it. I too know it well. Keep silent. So... He's wing, wing, nudge, nudge. I don't, I don't know what I don't know. Ooh, hello, you know all this stuff. William of Tyre is rather less uh, reticent. Raymond resolved to deprive him of his wife, either by force or by secret intrigue. The queen readily assented to this design, for she was a foolish woman. Contrary to her royal dignity, she disregarded her marriage vows and was unfaithful to her husband. That's the complete opposite. That's just saying she... she. Well, how do you say this? <laughs> Had an affair yeah, with her uncle. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, but who's he to say that? It's not true, right? Well, and it would be pretty scandalous because it's not just adultery. Mm. It's not just adultery as a queen. It's not just adultery as a queen with her own uncle. But it's adultery as a queen with her own uncle whilst on a crusade where sex of any kind, even with her husband, was a mortal sin. Was it? Yeah, no hanky-panky on the crusades. It's a holy mission. 
Oh, that's awful. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> but come off it. They're, they're sort of off and under duress. Or the misapprehension that by slaughtering some Muslims they'll get a ticket to heaven. Mm. I mean, oh, give a fellow a break. <laughs> it's true that her marriage to Louis was on the rocks at this point, uh, and Raymond would have been an alluring presence, but it does seem a bit hard to believe that she'd actually have had an affair with her uncle. Yeah. The fact that she and Louis were able to patch things up a bit at Tusculum and produce another daughter whose legitimacy Louis never seems to have questioned suggests that he never believed that she had an affair. Yeah. But perhaps more significant is the fact that she would have been aware that tongues were wagging in Antioch and she did absolutely nothing to try to uh, protect her reputation. So John of Salisbury, who was in Tusculum at the same time as them when they came back, described her rather defiantly careless behaviour. The attentions paid by the prince to the queen and his constant, indeed almost continuous, conversation with her aroused the king's suspicions. They were greatly strengthened when the queen wished to remain behind, and when the king made haste to tear her away, she mentioned their kinship, saying it was not lawful them to remain together as man and wife. So he's saying, look, I don't like you spending all this time with this chap. Come on, we're, we're leaving now. And she says, I'm not leaving, and by the way, we need to get divorced. Uh, mm, but she couldn't... That doesn't mean that she would be having an affair with her uncle, though, because they're even clo more closely... Well, yeah, Louis was obviously so shocked to hear about the consanguinity that he didn't think to point out that even if he was Eleanor's third cousin once removed, it was a darn sight better than being her uncle. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sure afterwards it's like, oh, I should have should have said Yeah, that. yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Rather than just going, ooh, ooh, but, but. <laughs> but it's, again, it's the fact that she is, there are rumours, there are suspicions about her behaviour, and the fact that her response is, I defy you, I'm staying here with the man that people say I'm having an affair with, and by the way, I want to divorce you. That is not her going into full PR mode. I better make sure people don't think I'm up to anything naughty. Yeah. And what uh, front, you know, that's fantastic. Just, no, I'm I'm an actor in this too. I'm not your, um, what's, what is it, the shadow actor in case the main actor goes ill? Understudy. Understudy, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Her next controversial liaison was her swift marriage to husband's, uh, her first husband's enemy, the 18-year-old Henry II, which mm. came less than two months after her annulment with Louis. Mm. Mm. So certainly one imagines that they had come to some kind of an accord before uh, the divorce. There's even a suggestion that Henry and Eleanor might have had, uh, had an affair in 1151 in Paris when they met. Oh, oh. There probably wasn't an awful lot of time for it. It would have had to be pretty quick, an instant. But that's at least where they could have first met to decide whether they would have been a good match, because she could yeah. then have said, oh, well, that, that Henry that I met was all right. Let's hmm. send a letter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gervais of Canterbury said that it was she who had cleverly brought about that contrived repudiation, being tired of decrepit Gallic embraces. <laughs> decrepit Gallic embraces and mm. wasn't her husband the same age but Henry's only 18 so you know yeah. mm. 
Now, of course, Henry II would later find himself a victim of Eleanor's machinations with the Great Revolt, and we won't go into the details of this again, but it is worth reflecting on just how scandal it was for the Queen to rebel against her husband, the King. Yeah. Have we had that before? Well, Matilda of Flanders sent money to her eldest son oh, when yeah. he rebelled against William the Conqueror, but she never actively joined the rebellion or really made serious links with her husband's enemies. So really, Eleanor's rebellion is pretty unprecedented in English history, at least in the period we're looking at. Mm, brilliant. Indeed, at first, Henry doesn't seem to have believed rumours of her involvement, so he did get a warning from uh, the Count of Toulouse, but he didn't seem to take it seriously, and he actually left... Richard and Geoffrey, uh, two of his sons, in Eleanor's care whilst he was preparing to deal with the young Henry, um, mm. only for her then to send them to Paris and Louis. And of course, let's not forget, that is her ex-husband. She sent them to Louis? Yeah, because young Henry is in Paris with Louis the Seventh. Oh, that's so awkward. Mm. Uh, but it's the very antithesis of what a queen is meant to do. She's meant to be the supporting figure to the king. The, the absolute number one thing as queen you're not meant to do is foment a rebellion against your husband. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Brilliant. Well, great. I mean, that. yeah, un we like unprecedented, though, because it sets the precedent for all mm. those coming up later. Indeed. Um, she embodies really a sort of contemporary unease with Queen's consort as sexual beings, particularly in France, where the reduction of the Queen's administrative role sort of enhances the significance of her personal private influence, mm. influencing mm. the King. As the matriarch of the Angevin Empire, she becomes a target for Philip Augustus, who has anti-Angevin chroniclers telling lots of terrible stories about all of these scandalous, terrible, devilish Angevins. And obviously the fact that she drops one king, rebels against another, she's a lightning rod for tall and juicy tales. Yeah. Yeah, she's going to be public enemy number one to a, a chauvinist society. So, strap in. Oh, that wasn't it? No. <laughs> oh, okay. It's right. said that uh, the recruitment for the Second Crusade saw Eleanor not just taking the cross but riding with her ladies dressed as bare-breasted Amazons through the court. Nonsense. Other stories from the Crusades included Eleanor being tired of her weak and ineffectual husband, having an affair with Saladin and trying to <laughs> elope with him. Oh, man. I mean, that's, that's a load of bored crusaders uh, doing a comedy newsletter. Also, of course, Saladin is the third crusade, so he's only about 11 years old at this point. Good point. It's probably the fact that the second crusade is a terrible failure, and so Eleanor, as a sexual being on a holy mission, is an easy scapegoat. A Jonah. Mm. Uh, another highly contentious thing, which we've already mentioned, is the fact that she switches from France to England, and uh, Walter Mapp... Uh, added a bit of extra spice to this uh, remarriage by claiming that before Eleanor married Henry II, she had an affair with his father, Geoffrey of Anjou. No. So rather than that affair with Henry in 1151, it was with Geoffrey. That's rubbish, right? I mean, my, mind you, it would suit... It would... Uh, Geoffrey had a type because Matilda was a strong you know, personality. Oh, they hated each other. Hmm. And this, of course, would therefore mean that her marriage with Henry was incest because she'd slept with his father. Mm. 
Uh, now, the age gap's actually quite interesting here. Henry is 18 years old, Eleanor is 27 years old, and Geoffrey mm. is 38. Oh. So, actually, neither of them are actually out of the age range, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. They're both sort of there's the same distance from each other. Yeah. Uh, but, again, there's no contemporary report of this, and it's more likely that Geoffrey arranges the match between the two of them. Eleanor is also caught up in legends about Henry II's mistress and supposed true love Rosamond Clifford. And according to legends such as the Ballad of Fair Rosamond, uh, he constructed a magnificent maze for Rosamond so that they could conduct their affair in secret. So she'd wander into the maze and no one would be able to find them. But Eleanor discovers the maze, finds her way to Rosamond and makes her drink poison. Is this true? Oh, no, obviously. I mean, Rosamond does die young, and indeed before both Henry and Eleanor in 1176, but they only actually went public in 1174, and even then, highly unlikely that Eleanor would have bothered to murder one of Henry's mistresses. He has an awful lot of mistresses. Yeah, you can just get a a key for a door with a lock rather than waiting for a maze to grow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Other legends include Eleanor disrobing before her lords, attempting to seduce a bishop, having a daughter by a friar, having a son by William Marshall, even attempting to blackmail Robin Hood into a bedroom encounter. It's always about the the nakedness and then how can you make the fact that women have bodies even more scandalous? Throw in a bishop <laughs> or a friar or make it religious as well. And it's just, it's just too awful and then totally unbelievable. Mm. So the question is, uh, how much of that, if any, do you believe? And uh, what score does she get for scandal? I just don't believe any of it. Is That's absolute um, tosh. I mean, I suppose there's some stuff which is real. So, I mean, you know, dumping Louis to marry Henry, you know, with just... Oh, yeah, that that bit. Sorry, I thought you meant these rumour bits. Oh, no, sorry. No, yeah, the whole, the whole picture. Okay. Um <sighs> It's amazing. This whole period of this whole eighty years is just an incredible time of history. Marrying the French king, fine, that's sorted. You've reached the top of the um tree. Yeah. That's what most people in a game of pontoon twenty one or whatever would say, I'll stay. I'll stay. But she keeps twisting. <laughs> and then divorces. Okay, let's oh, I've I've pulled another twenty. <laughs> Queen of England. Oh no, I'm gonna twist again. It's just amazing and then giving the king of england's children to the king of france her ex-husband but is her ex-husband yeah it's fast there's not anything really juicy there's not any obvious beheading of archbishops or sex with nuns there's obviously doubt about all of the sex is the only problem there's sexual doubt but yeah, but her, her, just her being, just her way of life is scandalous and is incredible. And it just, you never know what she's going to do. It's amazing. It's not that each individual thing is, is scandalous. Hmm. It's just that it is outrageous because it's so different. It's got to be 10. Yeah, I think, uh, I think on this one, even if, uh, you know, we dismiss the affair with her uncle though even then obviously she still behaves scandalously even if she doesn't yeah. do it um you know whether or not she has an affair with henry the quick marriage to him after dumping louis obviously she's at least plotting to do all of this it's pretty scandalous 
the rebellion against her husband, even if it's a little bit ad hoc, it's still there. This is big stuff. It's it's so big that the 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 scale of each thing gets uh, dwarfed by the entirety. Like if it was if anyone else had just done that, had rebelled against the king, it would stand out. Yeah, and you go, wow, that's massive. But it just keeps coming. There's loads. So yeah, I think it's got to be a ten for me as well. That's a twenty out of twenty for scandal. Subjectivity. So Eleanor's life is certainly dramatic, but does she actually make for a good queen consort? Um, now, interestingly, in comparison to her immediate Norman predecessors, particularly if we think the three Matildas, in a way, her record isn't actually all that spectacular. She does act as regent for Henry a few times in the 1150s and the 1160s. Um, Henry only spent about 13 of his 35 years uh, as king actually in England, so you know he does need people on the ground for him. But while the Norman Matildas are genuine partners in the rule of their husbands, Eleanor's influence as Queen of England is really quite limited. She spends seven of the first 12 years uh, as Queen pregnant, and Henry's mother, the Empress Matilda... <laughs> Sorry, I thought you just misspoke saying regnant. <laughs> Queen pregnant. <laughs> that should be an official role. <laughs> I'm no longer Queen pregnant, I'm Queen mother. Um... But Henry's mother, the Empress Matilda, is the dominant female power uh, in Henry's realm. And this only changes in 1168 when Eleanor goes uh, to Aquitaine to rule on Henry's behalf, where she does get to do uh, a bit of independent ruling. Uh, But of course, even that stopped after five years when she joined the failed uh, Great Revolt. So her record as Queen Consort is probably actually not that great compared to some of the people we've done before. Unlike the three Matildas, though, Eleanor survives her husband and becomes Queen Mother. Mm. And remarkably, she's the first Queen Mother since Emma of Normandy. How long ago? Oh, that was... um... She dies in 1052, or the 1050s, where she's Queen Mother to Edward the Confessor. Oh, right. So it's over 100 years since we've had a Queen queen Mother in England. Wow. Hmm. And it's in this period, as Queen Mother, when her legend and brilliance is really to be found. That's when she does all of the impressive uh, stuff in terms of good subjectivity. Uh, such as the bond between Eleanor and Richard, that almost his first order in becoming king is to have Eleanor released from prison. And William Marshall is sent to England to inform the great and the good that Eleanor was to have the power of doing whatever she wished in the kingdom, and her word should be law in all matters. Now, she's never officially named as regent, but to all intents and purposes, she's effectively a queen regnant. She ran a magnificent Reginalis Curia, i.e. a queen's court. She was free to enter whatever city or castle she wanted to, which is a key feature of medieval kingship. Mm. And her authority outstripped that of the justiciar, because he noted his charters were made by the queen's precept. Right. Yeah. Just going back to that moment where you said that one of his first... Uh, acts as king was to release his mother mm. um, rather than it being on the throne crown placed on his head and he goes right now release the mother that it's more <laughs> sort of <laughs> west wing where okay the ceremony's done he's walking through the corridor sees Marshall and just sort of flicks a finger at him who knows that means go and get my mum yes. you know <laughs> yeah, so I'd love to know that level of detail how it was actually done 
Well, apparently when William Marshall got to England, she'd actually already been released by the time he got there. So I oh, really? Just well, thought, ah, she, she could... I bet she just turned, turned to the guard that um, told her that the king was dead, and she just said, very good, and walked out. Like, there was no... <laughs> No, it, it was just assumed yeah. at that point. Ironically, her imprisonment probably acted as something for positive for her in 1199 because it allowed her to emerge as the elder stateswoman who was above all of the divisions and controversies of Henry's final years as king. Yeah, 15 years out, you get all the allure and... Uh, do I mean allure? You get all the mm, sort yeah. of mystique, yeah. but you haven't been involved in the grotty stuff over the last 15 years. Roger of Houndon describes her as a highly capable ruler, um, whether in administrative details such as announcing plans to standardise weights, measures and coinage, which ultimately leads to the 1196 Assize of Measure Act, or gaining mass popularity through uh, releasing prisoners, she proves a highly capable and highly popular figure, as he says. She moved her royal court from city to city and from castle to castle, ordered that all captives should be liberated from prison and confinement for the good of the soul of Henry her lord, inasmuch as in her own person she had learnt by experience that confinement is distasteful to mankind, and that it is a most delightful refreshment to the spirits to be liberated therefrom. Yeah, still not behind that as an so, idea. When they're saying releasing prisoners, what they don't mean is that every prisoner is released. So we don't have murderers running amok all of a sudden. Instead, she's been quite strategic about who she releases. So it's those awaiting trial, those who've been victims of some of Henry's unpopular laws, such as infringements of forest law, i.e. Right. people who are taking deer from his hunting lands and stuff. So it's effectively mm. some of the rules that are seen as being a bit tyrannous. People who've been caught up in that, they're the ones that are getting released. Well, it worked well for her, but I won't be doing it. <laughs> it works very well for her. Um, she's very popular. Rich is very popular. It's uh, it's a good PR move. And it's also worth saying that without Eleanor's steadying influence, Richard's reign could easily have descended into chaos. It was Eleanor, of course, who resists the attempts of John to take power when he was captured. Her unquestioned authority is crucial in maintaining a united front, because otherwise nobles might have been wary of resisting John, because Richard on the Crusades could easily have been killed, and then John would have been king. Yeah, 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 you'd definitely be backing that horse. Eleanor, though as John's mum, doesn't have to worry about that. She can just tell him what's what and everyone else can just sort of get behind her. Mm. Uh, at the same time, of course, Eleanor is the one who oversees the efforts to secure Richard's release. She opened diplomatic channels with the Holy Roman Emperor and Richard ordered that the ransom taxes be delivered to our mother and such persons as she shall think proper. And it's thanks to Eleanor's efforts uh, in raising this that Richard is released and has a stable and united kingdom to return to. Mm. Now, as well as the black legend of Eleanor, there's also something of a golden legend. Um, so seeing her as a central figure of the age, commissioning great chivalric work, spreading the troubadour tradition, overseeing this unparalleled cultured court. Um, Eleanor certainly inspires uh, literature. Guinevere to Henry or Louis Arthur in Wace's Roman de Brew. Uh, the origin for Cressida in Benoit de Saint-Mars' uh, Roman de Troyes, which inspires Chaucer and Shakespeare's famous works. Indeed, Orff's uh, Carmina Burana, which is mm -hmm. uh, not the most famous bit of it, the... Oh, Fortuna bit. Mm. She's not that bit, but as part of the work, 
There is a medieval poem, which is about Eleanor, that's in this work, which says, Were the world all mine, from the sea to the Rhine, I'd give it all if so be the Queen of England lay in my arms. But unfortunately, her actual patronage is very limited. She's only the dedicatee of two books and probably didn't actually commission either of them. Uh, There's no evidence that she brought the troubadour culture to Paris or London, uh, though it does seem that she brought the Aquitaine speciality of polyphony. So that's two or more simultaneous lines of independent melody. Uh, Both Paris and London, it emerges when Eleanor arrives, so she probably brought it with her. Oh, that's cool. Hmm. But otherwise, she she raises very highly cultured children, and even murdery soldiery Richard is a noted troubadour, so she obviously values education and culture, but she's not actually a great cultural patron. Hmm. I'd have been happy with a a nice new uh, twangy tune that she might have brought along, (laughs) and peace. Rather than uh, books and uh, abbeys. So I, I'm I'm for this. This is fine. I'm not sure she was necessarily bringing a lot of peace, though, all the time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, in religious patronage, your favourite area, again, her predecessors are rather more prolific. Um, although a religious character, certainly more so than her anti-clerical husband, she doesn't really make any great foundations. Uh, the bulk of her patronage goes to Fontevraud Abbey, whose position on the sort of Anjou-Aquitaine border made it the ideal favoured house for the Angevin Empire though its significance probably grows by accident because um, Henry II was buried there not because he wanted to be but for fear that his body would decompose in the heat if he was taken across the country to the place he actually wanted to go. So he was buried at uh, Fontevraud and said and Eleanor chose to retire there for the last five years of Richard's reign and then when he requested to be buried with his father that's when Eleanor turns it into something of an Angevin mausoleum uh, she commissioned highly unusual funeral effigies for both Henry and Richard, uh, and then one for herself as well. And her effigies, the first medieval sculptural representative of a lay woman holding a book. Wow. Uh, if we are to make a particularly point of criticism of Ellen in uh, subjectivity, um, you know, some have argued that her conflicts with Henry, her failure to act within the conventions of queenship that went before her, is actually arguably part of the process that diminishes the office of queenship uh, for her successors. So many see the Anglo-Norman period as being the apogee of uh, medieval English queenship, and perhaps in part that's a bit due to the damage uh, done by Eleanor. She sort of slightly blackens the name for queens a little bit. They're not to be afforded too much power because of the negative influence they can have. Yeah, but to show that... A woman can rule and be in charge and effective and powerful. Well, that's the thing we have to remember in terms of Eleanor not being this. We said at the start of the biography episode, she's not this sort of great figure out of time that spawned from nowhere. She is part of this narrative. Mm. Remember, Matilda of Flanders was regent in Normandy. Uh, Matilda of Scotland was regent for a lot of the time in England and effectively ruling in her own way, Matilda of Boulogne, when Stephen was captured, it's Matilda of Boulogne that raises the army, takes on the Empress Matilda, oh, yeah. saves her husband and gets everything back on track. So, you know, actually, it's not that Ellen is the first time we've seen a queen having power and exercising it. And you can say to an certain extent, Eleanor not being able to sort of fit in in the way that some of her predecessors did maybe made it a bit harder for her to have her success or fit in than perhaps they experienced so what are you thinking for a score for subjectivity it can't be a perfect 10 mm. i think that's 
that's agreed because there's an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of um, disruption and wars and rebellions. I would be comfortable having her in charge, <laughs> certainly more so than John. If she'd have got her way and had Aquitaine as it as she wanted it, just hers, yeah. just leave me alone, she'd have been able to sort it right out. Mm. What are, what are the plus ones again? She's done two books. Um, well, she didn't. Really, she was sort of the dedicatee for a couple of books, but they were actually probably commissioned by um, other people. So she's cultured. Mm. She inspires literature, but she's not actually really a great patron of it. Um, her big positives are that, you know, as Queen Mother, we see her really steadying the ship when Richard and John both face quite a lot of chaos. She shows good governance uh, for Richard when, you know, he's off doing other stuff. Um, okay. I think it balances five then, because on one hand, she's causing some of the trouble, which, you know, don't blame her for. Uh, but then there's also a steadying force. Five. Mm. Yeah, it's a funny one because subject because it's one of those where actually there's a bit less than you might think. I think the reality is that because she is playing the high politics game, mm. she doesn't necessarily have a lot of time for the patronage stuff. Mm. Yeah, she's too. Yeah, busy. that's right. So the, the subjectivity is not the score that she was going for. Yeah, I sort of I feel inclined to give her more than half. I feel like it's the fact that it comes together as Queen Mother that she sort of brings it back round again in mm. a positive way. So I, I'm going to go for a six for subjectivity. I think I agree with you, though. I think that she's... You would have wanted to have been a subject to her, but mm. the subjecting that was done <laughs> maybe wasn't so great. Yeah. You're like, I'll help you this, Eleanor. I'll put up with this war because I know when this is all over, it's going to be lovely. But unfortunately doesn't quite work. So that's a five from you, a six from me, so that's 11 for subjectivity. Longevity. So Eleanor was Queen Consort of England to Henry II from the 19th of December, 1154, to the 6th of July, 1189, which equates to mm. 34.5 years. Uh, she was then Queen Mother for Richard the Lionheart and for John from the 6th of July, 1189, to the 1st of April, 1204 which is another 14.75 years nice so that's nearly 50 years of english queenship though obviously her time as queen mother we only give half marks for that so 14.75 divided by 2 is 7.38 so added to 34.5 gives her 41.88 years which equates to a score of 17 out of 20 that's big it's the fourth best for the entire series. Is that just because of Philip, mostly, and two others? Yes. <laughs> it's literally um, down to Philip and two others. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Ellen actually had even longer being a queen because she was a queen consort of France before all of that, from the 1st of August 1137 to the 21st of March 1152, which is 14.58 years. So if you added that to her total, she'd have uh, 56.46 years as queen, which would have given her 18.5 out of 20 and would have been the third best overall. Oh, I almost feel like she does deserve something for that. She was also, of course, the Duchess of Aquitaine in her own right from the 9th of April 1137 to the 1st of April 1204, which is 67 years. And that's the longest period of female rule in history, 
until February 2019. Really? When she was overtaken when? by Elizabeth Queenie. II. Yeah. That does show how long Elizabeth's been on the throne, doesn't it? Yeah. I was amazed by um, Eleanor's score, but wow. Unfortunately, uh, her time as Duchess of Aquitaine and Queen of France doesn't count towards her score, but nevertheless, 17 out of 20. Mm. And actually, if even if you add in those big, big scores, it doesn't make a huge difference. Still less than Philip. Yeah. Dynasty, not the programme. Eleanor has a lot of children, uh, two daughters by Louis, Marie and Alex, and then by Henry, at least five sons and three daughters. Wow. I say at least because uh, there's some speculation that she might have had another son who died as a baby, but other than uh, a reference by Ralph of Dicetto, who's the Dean of St. Paul's, has not otherwise uh, ever been recorded to history because he said that they had six sons. Um, so potentially this is a total of 11 children from 1145 when she was 21 to 1166 when she was 42. She had her last child at 42? She did. In those days? Yeah. Gosh. Uh, tragically, however, many of the children don't survive her. And in terms of her dynasty score, we're only counting the children by um. uh, Henry II and those that survive Henry II because he's the first of them to die. Uh, and there are four children that survive Henry, Richard, Eleanor, Joan, and John. And that gives her a score of 14 out of 20. Gosh, this is a big score, isn't it? Well, all in all, that gives her a total score of 81.5. Mahusive. That's got to be top. That is, of course, the biggest score that we've had in the series thus far. I'm just going to put her scores into... I've got a spreadsheet of combined data. So that is taking the English series, the Scottish series, and the consorts, and it's applying the longevity and dynasty to all of them. So rather than taking their individual scores from each series, it's treating them as one big series. Okay, yeah. So in the consort series, Eleanor scores 81.5. In the combined data she would get 82.5 mm, which puts her where in the combined uh well so the previous top scorer of in this combined total calculator is henry the second oh does she beat henry please eleanor has got 82.5 henry has got 82 Point five. No, they've got exactly the same total score. Oh, Graham, if you'd have given her a point five more, or I'd have given her a six instead of a five for subjectivity. Wow! But isn't that fascinating, though? So that's amazing. Henry the Second and Eleanor of Aquitaine both have an eighty-two and a half point. That score. is amazing. We, we, and I stress again, we never ever discuss scores beforehand. I never know what you're going to say or, or what I'm going to say, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, uh, that is just shows. It's the immovable object meets the unstoppable force. Mm-hmm. I got my, uh, my brain's exploded a bit here. And that the top scorer of the English series is married to what's likely to be the top scorer of the consort sc- series. Yeah. Oh, man. 
What a time. It's incredible. Be that as it may, it's not all about the score. Does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, the great achievement, the star quality that we call... Rex Factor! There's no point even doing a funny, is there? It's just definitely... Do you know, I was thinking, like, how would I make an argument to sort of balance it? How would I make an argument against Eleanor getting it? And the only thing which did did occur to me was a, uh, a Jose Mourinho line <laughs> that he used uh, against Arsene Wenger, which is a very unfair line uh, for Arsene Wenger, and it's also a very oh, yeah. unfair line for... <laughs> For Eleanor, Jose Mourinho in one press conference described uh, Wenger as a specialist in failure. Yeah. And in a way, with Eleanor, if you sort of look at her track record, Queen of France, didn't really find a role, went on the Second Crusade, disaster, marries to Henry II, didn't have much of a role as Queen, institutes a rebellion, loses, is imprisoned for 15 years, Huge effort to sort Kingdom out for Richard. He dies. Huge effort to sort everything out for John. He messes it all up. And she dies and the Angevin Empire dies. It's quite a lot of not winning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But she did it all that while with that certain something. Yeah, and, you know, she's not in control of all of these events, even though she comes from many, many times she does an awful lot of... Uh, controlling she has clearly got the rex factor 100 100 she is she is she is the rex factor (laughs) she sort of defines the pizzazz of it Mm. so that is a yes from you it's a yes from me eleanor of aquitaine has got the rex factor and she's got exactly the same score as henry the second Encroyable. <laughs> Correspondence Corner. So that was Eleanor of Aquitaine. Let us know what you think about her and whether she deserved the Rex Factor. It'll be a, <laughs> <that's> a <laughs> big argument to make. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram where we are at Rex Factor Pod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page or email Rex Factor Podcast at hotmail.com. And please remember to send in your hashtag consort cards. We've been uh, sharing these on uh, social media recently because we got quite a lot in early on and it's gone a bit quiet recently so we're going to give a bit of a push again for those we'd love to have more episode images to replace the heritage limited playing cards who have not done a pack for the queens and you don't have to be up to date you don't have to do eleanor you can do whichever yeah do any of them if you'd like to support the podcast you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher whatever you use we are a free podcast, but if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a one-off donation via PayPal, and we say a big thank you to Ashley Sykes, who has done that recently. I thank you very much, Ashley Sykes. Or you can donate on a monthly basis and join the Privy Council to get bonus content, and with uh, this particular run for Eleanor, you're going to get not just a Privy Chamber, but also we'll be doing our latest episode of Rexflex Film Review Podcast, where Ali will finally be watching The Lion in Winter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when are we doing this? Because someone sent me through a still of this, and I'm not excited. Rob did for the episode image. Yeah. Like, who are these people? Actors and characters. <laughs> that was fair enough. That <laughs> fella on the right looked like Hagrid. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if you want to join the Privy Council, uh, then you would be joining the likes of 
down the stairway. <laughs> Heather Sink, Met Fries, Guy Lawful, Rachie A, Ben Tidswall or Tideswall, Lauren Jansen Parks, Doug Lulu and Lexi, C Chas, David Thompson, Ali New Eleven, Rack Hit, Betsy W P, Jennifer Grandchamp. Laura McKenzie and Caitlin Walker. Arise. Thank you. Really, thank you. So that's all for us, and that's all for uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine. Though, as he said, Privy Councillors have got a Privy Chamber and uh, Rex Flicks to look forward to. Otherwise, our next episode will be on the consort of Richard the Lionheart, which is Berengaria of Navarre. Okay. From one of England's uh, most famous Queen's consorts to not <laughs> yeah to um yeah when are we doing our um privy councillor episode for this then let's say goodbye first okay right goodbye <laughs> see you next time